welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times telling you what the papers don't say. My name is Adrian Goldberg. This time, people with learning disabilities telling us why their campaign for COVID vaccinations is so important. It's a really high number of people with a, with a learning disability who die, you know, who will die of COVID if they're not given the vaccine. And that's really shocking. And I don't want to be a number because I'm a human being. I don't, I don't want to be one of those numbers and I want to be vaccinated. And it's shocking, you know, that we're not being prioritised and we should be. We're, we're just as important as anybody else. And later, a warning that the government must do more to help three million self-employed workers excluded from its coronavirus support programmes or prepare for longer dole queues. There could be a tsunami of unemployment just around the corner unless the Treasury starts implementing some of the proposals that we and others have given them. They've been totally non-proactive. All that to come. First, a reminder that the Byline Times can report on these stories without fear or favour because we're funded by people like you, our listeners and readers of the Byline Times. We like to think we're telling it like it is, leading the way on stories like the PPE procurement scandal, challenging the government on issues like Brexit and Covid. If you believe in what we're doing, please consider subscribing to our monthly newspaper, The Byline Times. It costs just £36 a year. You'll find details on how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com. That's bylinetimes.com. And if you've already got a subscription, well, thank you. Now, COVID-19 and calls to make vaccination for people with a learning disability a priority. Learning disabilities, or LDs, cover a very wide category and can encompass people with Down syndrome, autism or other conditions of varying severity that make it difficult to carry out everyday tasks. Figures published by Public Health England show that people with a learning disability are six times more likely to die of the virus than members of the general population, and that if you're aged 18 to 34 with a learning disability, you are 30 times more likely to die than people of the same age who don't have an LD. Now, these stats cover the first few months of the pandemic, but they are the most up-to-date we have, and in the past few days, a range of charities, including MenCap, have launched a campaign to ensure that all people with a learning disability are vaccinated as a priority. Kira Lawrence has been telling me why this story matters. As a person with a learning disability, I feel I'm just as important as anybody else and I have been at home now for 10 months and I feel like I should have the right to have the vaccine like anybody else. And I understand that there's a priority list and I understand that. But I want to be vaccinated because I want to be able to go out. I want to be able to see my family. I want to be protected against COVID-19. And I feel like I have a right to it and I haven't had it yet. And because the death rate for people with learning disabilities is significantly higher than that for people who don't have learning disabilities, does that make you feel that there should be some priority given to you in terms of accessing the vaccine? 
people with a learning disability need to be prioritised for the vaccine because it's our way of being protected and it's our way of being able to go back into normal life after all these months of upset and all these months of the rules being changed and you know, I I can't understand the rules. I haven't been able to understand the rules every time they change. And I, I just want some normal life back. I want vaccinating. I want to go back to my life as it was. And I, I want some normality back. And the only way I'm going to get that is to have the vaccine. It's a really high number of people with a, with a learning disability who die, you know, who will die of COVID if they're not given the vaccine. And that's really shocking. And I don't want to be a number because I'm a human being. I don't, I don't want to be one of those numbers and I want to be vaccinated and it's shocking, you know, that we're not being prioritised and we should be. We're, we're just as important as anybody else. What do you think this says about society's attitude towards people with learning disabilities? Sadly, I know that they don't understand what a learning disability is and they treat us like second class. They look down on us. People don't understand what it's like. People just don't see us. They don't hear us. And it's awful. And so I am on this earth to say to people, actually, talk to me, meet me, look at me, and I'm here. And I'm just as good as anybody else. Passionate words there from Kira Lawrence. Now, we should point out that people who have one form of learning disability, Down syndrome, are banded in the fourth priority group for a COVID jab, and people with what are considered to be profound or severe learning disabilities are in Category 6. But two-thirds of the people with learning disabilities who've died from COVID had a mild or moderate diagnosis, and they aren't a priority at all. This group includes people like 32-year-old Harry Roach, who is at added risk because of his age, Young adults, that's people aged between 18 and 34, have a 30 times greater risk of dying from COVID if they have a learning disability than if they don't. Harry lives with his parents and hasn't been able to see his friends for months. He's been telling me how he's handling it. I think since the pandemic, I think there's I had some good days and, and I think recently I've not had some good days because I think we're in a new lockdown a third lockdown and it just seems like the world has like gone so so quiet and I just feel like um with winter time not not all of us is able to like go out and just do the things that we all like um you like have done like in the summertime but I feel like um with the pandemic I think it's just with the mutation of the virus I think it's kind of like I think everything's kind of like got worse. So it feels pretty intense, I imagine, at the moment, as it does for many people. Yeah, it's really intense for lots and lots of people. And I think a lot of people have had enough now, but there's nothing we can like do about it. But with the, with, with the vaccine here, I'm just hoping there might be like some improvements, but it's going to take a lot of time um to get everyone vaccinated before we can return to normal life because we might be expecting um another 12 months of this it's not about getting everyone's lives back to normal it's about like um getting the vaccine and being able to like go out for like walks and 
shopping for essentials in a safer um in a in a safer manner you're in the age group the 18 to 34 age group of people with learning disabilities that seems particularly vulnerable if you are 18 to 34 with a learning disability you are 30 times more likely to die from covid than people who don't have learning disabilities i mean that's a pretty shocking statistic how does that make you feel you're somebody on the on the front line of this it makes me feel um um quite frightened to get covid people with a learning disability are more likely to die from it i do feel vulnerable as as it's mutating i haven't been to the shops we get I, I get my shopping um online so um I, I get my food um o- online deliveries um staying in is not healthy for someone with a learning disability because in ordinary times people most people with a learning disability this is not perfect they only used to go out like once a day but even if it's just once a day just to go for a walk or go to the shop to get essentials with the vaccine, that will make a huge um, impact for people with a learning disability. That that might um, be on the right track of them um, trying to like go out, like either for a walk or go to the shops to get like essentials in a safer manner. I am asking Matt Hancock and um, and also the Prime Minister Boris Johnson, please, please rethink your decision to get people um, with a learning disability vaccinated soon as possible because they we do come across as the most vulnerable in society so i am challenging you to rethink boris johnson matt hancock are you listening that's harry roach with a challenge to government let's hear now from mencap who are one of the leading voices in this campaign their CEO, Adele Harris, has a son with a learning disability. We teamed her up with Gary Borley, who has a learning disability himself and founded Learning Disability England, and Saba Salman, the writer whose sister has a learning disability. She's written for Byline Times about the fact that two-thirds of the people who've died from COVID have been disabled. She gave me her reaction to the high death rate amongst people with learning disabilities. I think for me, it's shocking, but it really is no surprise that we are seeing these absolutely horrific death rates amongst learning disabled people. It's really shameful that there is a group of people in our society who are six times, at least six times more likely to die of COVID than everyone else. And the thing that's even more worrying, I think, is that My sense is these figures really are an underestimate because some deaths may not be recorded. And obviously, these are statistics from from November from Public Health England. And the reason I said that, you know, it's shocking but not surprising is because we know that learning disabled people already face massive inequalities in life. And COVID has has simply intensified this. And so many people, organisations, families, self-advocates, people learning disabilities themselves warned right at the start of COVID that this is what would happen and, and it's exactly what was what was warned about. And the age profile of those who've died with learning disabilities is different to that of the general population as well. 
Yes, that's right. I mean, it's it's shocking enough, really, that, you know, people as a group are six times more likely to die of COVID than, than everyone else, but particularly younger people with learning disabilities. So I think it's the age, uh, sort of 18 to 34 age group. This group of people, and my sister, Rana, is in that group. She's, she's 31 now. They are 30 times more likely to die at that age than, than those without learning disabilities. And just on top of that, while we're on the sort of looking at groups of people, we mustn't forget that, you know, black and ethnic minority people, and again, my sister is in that group as well, are at an even higher risk. Gary, you've lived your life with a learning disability. When you become aware of these figures around the risk associated with COVID, how does that make you feel? It's very sad for, for me because a lot of these people I've been forgotten about. And it's got worse during the pandemic. And as Sapo says, people with a learning disability are six, six times more than the general public to, to have die of um, COVID. And why do you think that is, Gary? It's because that the, the pe- people have been sort of forgotten about, neglected, and not seen as a top priority um, when it comes to vaccination. And that is that is important, you know, it, because pe- uh, people with learning difficulties some some have other complications, other disabilities, as well as their own learning disability. They could have uh, respiratory problems, which, uh, you know, lung disease and all sorts of other things. And also, people coming out back from, back from hospital, out of hospital, and then put back into the residential home, People are dying through a residential home. I've read a report from Bristol University, Saba, which has looked at some of the deaths of people with learning disabilities from COVID in some detail. And there are real concerns as well about the number of what are called DNA CPR decisions. This is do not attempt cardiopulmonary resuscitation. In many cases, the recommendation was not to resuscitate the patient, but that decision wasn't taken with the agreement of the patient or their family. That's right. I mean, it's an absolutely hideous situation. Early on in the pandemic, there were stories of people who were slapped with these blanket notices, this DNR, do not resuscitate order which basically meant that, you know, the, the reason for not resuscitating someone was learning disability or Down syndrome. Now, you know, a learning disability is not a terminal illness. It's not a life sentence. And as you said, it's that lack of awareness that you need to assess somebody for their health issues. You don't just assume because someone has that kind of support need that they don't have that right to life. And I, and I think that's what this is about, actually. It is about the fact that people who were, who were issuing these orders, and these are, you know, professionals, health professionals, 
the lack of awareness that you're in fact, apart from the, the, the moral ethical issue here, it's just the fact that you're actually breaching the law. There's human rights legislation, people have a right to life, and, and equality legislation, which is that you should not be discriminated against in any kind of setting, whether it's health or housing or employment, if you have a disability. So just that lack of awareness was, was just really shocking and, and, and shameful, really, that people were, um, were having to experience this and their families. Adele, I've got to say that was one of the most shocking things that I found when I was looking around this subject, the number of people who had these, what are effectively do not resuscitate orders placed upon them when there was no agreement in place for a DNA CPR. I know it's an absolutely shocking set of circumstances and sadly, although until relatively recently, whenever we were talking about this issue, we were saying Fortunately, it was at the early stages of the pandemic, but sadly it's not. It's continuing to happen. I mean, MENCAP have had two cases just this past weekend brought to our attention of adults with Down syndrome who went into hospital with COVID and do not attempt resuscitation notices were put onto their medical files without uh, their their consent. But um, at the time, in the early stages of the pandemic, way back now in, in March, uh, MENCAP and other disability organisations challenged the NICE guidelines that came out where they, they talked about having a, a clinical frailty score. And in our view, they conflated having support needs with frailty. And to be fair to them, as soon as uh, it was pointed out to them that this was an error, and it links very much to the point about subjective decision making in relation to DNA R notices too, they did um, update the guidance. Unfortunately, they forgot to um, communicate uh, the change in the guidance to the medical professionals who were making the decisions. So we had to continue to, to push. So, yes, yeah, shocking, shocking state of affairs in, in this day and age that people with a learning disability could in any way be looked upon as accessing the right type of health care and treatment and access to ventilators just because they have a learning disability. But you're saying that these cases are still occurring of DNA CPR, do not resuscitate notices being placed on people with learning disabilities without the consent of them or their family, simply because they have support needs. Yes, as I say, we've we've heard of two cases, and that's just two that we're aware of just this past weekend. What's different now is that we're not seeing the blanket use of the DNAR notices, which is what we did see in the early stages of the pandemic, where whole communities of people with a learning disability, including people who live in some of MENCAP's supported living services, were all sent the same communication because they were on a learning disability register. So we're not seeing that now. And, and NHS England apologised profusely for, for that at the time. But we do still see individual cases and it really is shocking and quite concerning. How do you understand it to work, Saba, in terms of who gets a vaccination with a learning disability and who doesn't? Well, I mean, we know that there's this priority list, there's 10 groups of people, and right at the top we've got uh, people in care homes, so older people um, in residential care and their staff. And then number four on the priority list is people who are 70 or over and those who are clinically vulnerable. And in that category are people with Down syndrome. So Technically, you know, if you have Down syndrome, you are number four on the, on the vaccine list. 
And if you go down that list, we've got number six, there's people aged 16 to 65 who are deemed to be at risk. And those conditions include dementia, heart issues, mental health conditions, and also if you have a profound, uh, severe and profound learning disability. So, you know, the categories are there, but just from a personal perspective, my sister has a, a moderate or mild learning disability and she is nowhere on this list because she she doesn't have sort of other conditions so my my understanding is that she and i are both in the same position and in, in the queue if you like for the vaccine despite the fact that one of us her is in a group of people who as we have been discussing you know are statistically and, and in fact have repeatedly been proven to be at higher risk of, of dying younger and obviously at higher risk of dying from COVID. It just it makes no sense really. I just think it's a it's a huge injustice really not to have a group of people who we know are more vulnerable to this awful pandemic, not a high priority. So just so we understand that then the the category six priority for vaccination involves having a, a severe learning disability so it's for your GP to decide whether you fall into the severe category or whether like Saba's sister your cluster's mild or whether like Gary your cluster's having a mild learning disability it's the GP who has to make that choice yet the statistics don't make any distinction if you have a learning disability you are significantly at greater risk than members of the general population. Yes, uh, I I couldn't put it better myself. And our argument is that everyone with a learning disability, full stop, should be in a higher priority group for the vaccination. Because as we keep saying, you know, the death rate amongst the 18 to 34 year olds is 30 times higher. And in my view, definitions such as mild, moderate, severe or profound. I mean, although they have a place, of course, in terms of the support that someone may require in their daily life, they're not relevant in this context. They're arbitrary definitions, they're subjective, they're open to interpretation. And all the evidence shows that if you have a learning disability as a safe full stop, you're at much higher risk. And we do wonder if the um, committee that's making the, the decisions, and I had a conversation with the vaccination minister on this very point this morning, if they're only looking at medical definitions and not taking into account the social determinants here. And the current guidance leaves individual doctors who are under considerable strain already to make a judgment about the severity of someone's learning disability before allowing them to receive a vaccination. I mean, in my family situation, I don't think I could put a label on my son's learning disability and therefore I don't think a, a GP could because it's contextual. You know, one day he would be described as having a very severe learning disability, but in a different context, you might describe it as moderate. So I just think these are arbitrary definitions that are really confusing the situation. And when it boils down to it, we're talking at about 200,000 to 300,000 additional people to move into that group six which on the grand scale of things is not a huge number. And we wonder if the committee are, one, are worrying about the numbers of additional people being moved into a priority area. So we're trying to get that message across too. I still think we're treated like second-class citizens. We've been fighting for far, far rights for, for a very long time. And you, we still 
fight with fighting for our rights. And there's still people out there don't don't think we're part of the society. And Saba, you have written a book about the achievements of people with learning disability. Disappointing to hear Gary saying that he thinks society still treats people like him as second-class citizens. And I presume you've written that book to say that people with learning disabilities do have so much to offer, as well as being individuals who should be respected in their own right. No, absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more with, with Gary. You know, it is disappointing and, and, and shameful, really, that people are treated as second-class citizens or less than human or, you know, as you said, not, not part of society. The point of the book made possible is exactly that. It's to, it's to show the flip side and to say, actually, you know, we are all human. We've all got something to contribute. Everyone has a value. And actually, you know, we all just need that little bit of support. I mean, all of us are here today because of someone else. Let's let's be honest. You know, none of us appear magically formed as successful, well-rounded human beings. We all have help. And I think we need to be more honest about that. But in a situation where COVID has shown that a group of people who are have so much to offer, you know, people like my sister have talent and they have potential and they can be independent. COVID is just undermining all of that. So the argument that, you know, we have to show what people can do, I, I think is just is just so so much more important now than ever really. Yes, I just want to say I would say to the politicians, I say that to the general public, come and speak to the people with learning disabilities and the self-advocacy groups because our self-advocacy groups have got a lot to give and we want people to come and join us in helping us to for our rights and and hopefully get more people vaccinated with a learning disability. Gary Borlay from Learning Disability England. Before that, Byline Times writer Saba Salman, who I mistakenly called Saba throughout the course of that interview. My apologies, Saba. We also heard from Adele Harris, CEO of the charity MenCap. And I'd also like to thank Richard Clark, who works for Solihull Action for Advocacy in the West Midlands, who gave me some great background to the story. Now, we did ask the government to respond to the campaign calling for greater priority to be given for people with learning disability to have the COVID vaccination. Professor Wei Shen Lim, the COVID-19 chair for the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, said the JCVI's advice on COVID-19 vaccine prioritisation was developed with the aim of preventing as many deaths as possible as the single greatest risk of death from COVID-19 is older age, prioritisation is primarily based on age. So that's the government's response. My name is Adrian Goldberg and you're listening to the Byline Times podcast. Just a reminder that the Byline Times is funded by the generosity of people like you, our subscribers. For just £36 a year, you can get our fabulous monthly paper, the Byline Times, and your subscription also helps pay for our website, Byline TV 
and this podcast. Thank you very much indeed if you've already subscribed. If you do want to subscribe, you'll get more details at bylinetimes.com. Now, thousands of people have been left on the breadline after being excluded from the government's self-employment income support scheme, which is supposed to keep them afloat during the pandemic. People affected include those who had only just started working for themselves when coronavirus struck, those who earned less than half their income from self-employment, and company directors who, pre-pandemic, were earning more than £50,000 a year. Byline Times writer Mike Buckley has been talking you through the story. So what's going on is that obviously the government has put funding support in place for you know millions of people throughout the pandemic and indeed they've got you know with the best one in the world they've got a bunch of this right so people who are in kind of you know normal jobs where they get paid a monthly salary you know if the employer hasn't been able to pay them they've been able to apply for furlough since uh, March or April last year which has been great self-employed people as long as they're earning under £50,000 and had started before financial year 2019-2020 they've been able to get I think two and a half thousand a month under the self-employed scheme but uh, but in actuality there are some groups that have lost out and the government hasn't supported them there's about two million self-employed people and people who pay themselves PAYE in, in limited circumstances who've lost out and haven't got any money from the government so those people are in real difficulty but the third group is limited company directors and this matters for two reasons one it matters because there's about two million of them and they've not had a penny from the government, and they represent 900,000 small businesses. So these are 900,000 small businesses that could genuinely go out of business. Uh, and that, of course, would put 2 million people onto the unemployment queue, you know, worst case scenario. But on top of that, one thing that is not discussed anywhere, really, is the fact that collectively, they, these people employ another 8 million people. So at the moment, of course, a lot of these people are on furlough. But if these companies go bust, then they won't be on furlough anymore. One thing that's been really good in all this is that there have been some grassroots campaigns that have sprung up to help out. And the one representing company directors is called Forgotten Limited. So I caught up with uh, Keith Webb, who's involved in running it, and he was explaining to me uh, what's going on. The limited companies that Forgotten Limited represent employ 7.6 million people. So the affected total here is not just the 2 million limited company directors, it's the additional 7.6 million people that they employ, many of whom are on furlough because the business owner is borrowing money to keep the business technically above water. Because if the business owner stops, then there is no job to come back to. And I think the big issue here, not understood enough, is the simple one is that if furlough ends, or if the business owner just can't borrow any more, how many of those 7.6 million people, many of whom are currently furloughed, are suddenly going to find they're out of a job because there's no job to go back to? There could be, if I may use a business cliche that's going around the minute, it could be a tsunami of unemployment just around the corner unless the Treasury starts implementing some of the proposals that we and others have given them. They've been totally non-proactive after saying, sorry, it's too difficult. So that's a lot of jobs at stake, isn't it? If these companies go under, why aren't the government doing more to help? So you're right, it's a huge number of people that um, whose jobs are at risk. And you would think, just in terms of the economy, that Rishi Sunak should not want to risk so many small businesses going under that obviously employ people, but also produce 
you know, but he's good for the economy and, and pay tax. He shouldn't want all of this, you know, the tax not being paid and the benefits being paid of people who've lost their jobs unnecessarily. So what the government say is that, firstly, they were saying it's too complicated and we can't work it out. So Forgotten Limited and others have kind of done the calculations for them and done the working out. Then the government have been saying, oh, well, it's a fraud risk. But then again, Forgotten Limited and others, and there's an APPG in Parliament, a group of MPs. That's a, an all-party parliamentary group. It's kind of a, a group just of interested and concerned MPs, isn't it? An APPG. Yeah, but strangely enough, it's the big, this is the biggest one in history. I think it's 261 MPs. There's never been a bigger one. And it's MPs from all sides. So it's, there's loads of Conservatives in there, as well as Labour and SNP and Caroline Lucas from the Greens. And they're all saying to the government, look, we can work out to do what you say you can't do and find a way to make this work. So essentially taking away all the government's excuses. So what happens next then, Mike? Because there are people out there in the real world who are directly affected by this now. Is nothing going to change? We don't know. The Forgotten Limited, this APPG group of uh, 261 MPs and some other organisations are trying to make the case to the government. You would think it would be in the government's interest because otherwise what's going to happen at the end of furlough is that some of these companies are what you what you might want to call zombie companies, as in companies that are keeping going just to keep their staff on furlough. Because if the company goes under, the furlough doesn't exist anymore, but, but their businesses are no longer viable. So when furlough comes to an end, a bunch of those companies, they'll, they'll just go under. Then the director is looking for something to do, and the employees are also looking for something to do. So we're just hoping that Rishi Sunak sees sense and does something to help these companies continue and make it through. Because they were viable before the pandemic, so in theory, they're going to be viable after the pandemic as well. If not, then the government is choosing to take a hammer blow to a very significant part of the economy. Many small business owners are natural Conservative voters. Is this going to have some kind of knock-on effect at the polls, do you think, for the Tories? Well, this is the other reason why it doesn't make sense to me at all in terms of something that the Conservatives would do, because we're talking about a lot of people here. I mean, obviously, we're talking about the two million directors, and we're also talking about their eight million staff. Now, fair enough, this isn't going to affect the way that they're all going to vote. And certainly a lot of the staff might think, well, I'm fine, I've had furlough. But certainly for the directors, so Forgotten Limited have done some obviously anecdotal polling. They haven't polled all too many of these people. They've done polling amongst the people that they've they've got um, contact with over email or social media or whatever. And what this has found, and, and obviously these are, you know, they're not YouGov, they're just doing what they can over email and, you know, the websites and whatever. But they've found that people, basically two thirds of these people have said, in the past, we used to vote Conservative. And when asked, how are you going to vote in the future? Only 2% of them have said, yeah, we're going to vote Conservative in the future. So that is obviously an absolutely catastrophic drop-off. Now, if you split 2 million by 650 constituencies, you get about 3,000 people um, per constituency. Obviously, it wouldn't be exactly that, but those are the basic numbers. And then there's about 12,000 employees. That's most majorities wiped out. Now, what's, what's interesting, though, for opposition parties is that there's been basically no change in the numbers of people who are saying they'd vote for the Labour Party, the main opposition, because of a general sense among these company directors that Labour just hasn't really stepped up to the plate. So from a Labour perspective, it seems to me that Labour's been missing, you know, a huge opportunity, actually, to speak up not only for these company directors, but also for their 8 million workers. Mike Buckley there, and you can read more from Mike in the Byline Times. 
since we recorded that, the all-party parliamentary group that Mike referred to has put forward a proposal which would make previously excluded groups eligible for the Self-Employment Income Support Scheme or, alternatively, a grant of between £3,500 and £7,500. The Treasury says it is considering the proposal ahead of the budget on March the 3rd. I'm Adrian Goldberg, and if there's a story you think we should be covering on the Byline Times podcast or in the Byline Times, please get in touch. You can email goldbergradio at gmail.com. That's goldbergradio at gmail.com. Thanks very much indeed for listening. See you next week.